0: Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. Last week, Port Authority adjusted a bunch of routes and dropped others. It's part of the fallout from their vaccine mandate, which a few employees are still declining to get. So while the available rides are temporarily free for riders, it's leaving a pretty big gap for folks of different abilities to get where they need to go. Today, we're asking a couple folks from the advocacy group Pittsburghers for Public Transit what it would take to create a more equitable system for everybody. It's Tuesday, March 22nd. I'm Megan Harris, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. First, some background on all of this. A couple years ago, the City Department of Mobility and Infrastructure, or DOMI, for the purposes of this conversation, launched this initiative called Move Pittsburgh. It's supposed to encourage residents to use a bunch of different transit options, like taking a port authority bus and then a city bike for the last couple miles of your trip. So DOMI and Move Pittsburgh got a bunch of grant funding to launch a new group last summer. It's called the Pittsburgh Mobility Collective, and it's sort of an umbrella, so not only for-profit companies like Spin Scooters and Zipcar, but also the city, the county, Port Authority, Healthy Ride, a whole bunch of others, all to allegedly make it easier for Pittsburghers to get around. But, well, as we're finding, all those options are only good for some of
1: us. Newsletter editor Francesca DeBecco is here to help us make sense of it. So Pittsburghers for Public Transit conducted a study, Mobility for Who? Rebuilding Bridges to Transportation Justice, with the help from Tech for Society. They're a student group at CMU, and the report looks at mobility need, especially compared to existing transportation access in the city, sidewalk infrastructure needs, priorities around mobility, affordability, and access, and how private mobility companies impact the city. Today, we're with one of the study authors from CMU, Bonnie Fan, and longtime member of Pittsburghers for Public Transit, Paulo Hanlon. He's also a wheelchair user and the immediate past co-chair of a task force that focuses on disability access all over the county. We're so glad to have you both here today. As you've studied the city and how it uses transit, what does Pittsburgh need? What is it missing as far as transportation goes?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Pittsburgh had... um sort of uh, been a, a first in like providing bus bus dedicated um, lanes. But unfortunately, you know, in, in that history of um, major route cuts, a lot of previous transit has not come back, even as, you know, other parts of the city have supposedly been revived. And instead, in its place, there's been, you know, that focus on experimental or smart city technology
0: like high tech stuff and the micro mobility options and stuff like that
2: yeah yeah and part of that you know is has been a part of like rebranding the city uh, making it more marketable more sort of competitive or on some sort of imaginary world stage but that (laughs) hasn't centered you know the residents who live here and and definitely you know paul will also talk more about this but in transportation it's also the infrastructure that enables us to uh, move from one another. Of course, we all are you know, still affected by the collapse of the Forbes Bridge, yet sidewalks and other investments are not shiny. They're not sexy, but they're uh, critical to making the city navigable for, for everyone, not just people with more money or other types of access. For
3: 30 years, the community has worked with Port Authority and Access Paratransit and, and so Port Authority became one of the, really one of the first major transportation systems to become fully accessible, which is to their credit and, and ours. You know, we made them do it and they did it, you know. And yeah. Access Paratransit has one of the most robust paratransit systems in the country. But these new things have been coming from a completely new entity the city of Pittsburgh. And what what's noticeable is there's no disability participation in that process. There's virtually no participation by access or port authority in that process. And, and by
0: participation, do you mean like as part of the conversation before these companies are necessarily invited to to set up shop in Pittsburgh?
3: Like move PGH, the, the entity that the city set up and the Whole infrastructure around they they call it various things last mile transit system and all of that stuff has been done by you know from my perspective sort of novices to the community that sort of showed up started doing stuff without checking in with everybody else and went off on their own way that's that's sort of my perspective yeah and and suddenly we're we're caught sort of like cleaning up.
0: Yep. Has there been a lot of interaction with uh, your groups or the Pittsburghers for Public Transit and, you know, this organization they're calling the Pittsburgh Mobility Collective?
3: Last July or last June, um, for the first time, Domi, the the Department of Mobility and, and Infrastructure.
0: Yeah, the city office.
3: Yeah, presented to the city county Task Force on Disabilities their plan about these scooters. And we then heard them, objected, sent a letter basically saying, we thought that it was a really bad plan, that it was discriminatory against people with disabilities That it failed to even consider the needs of the, those who have the greatest issue with the last mile. And, and we wanna solve it for everybody, but it doesn't look like the city's trying to solve it for everybody. Not even not even trying.
1: Paul, what kind of response did you get? I know you mentioned that you had sent a letter to to Domi. Um, I think Karina Ricks was the head at the time. What what kind of response did you get get from the city? None. Hmm.
3: No, no, no. I mean, real, real, no response at all. And then we got they actually then came to the task force within the past month and. Uh, it, It was a contentious meeting because in retrospect, I don't even know if the people who were there knew about the letter. But, you know, we had in our letter said, what we're asking is for you to set up an accessibility committee around these and invite these kind of players. And, you know, and pointed out that people on the task force have been involved in setting up a transit system statewide that for shared ride for people with disability we've got all kinds of experience and talent none of which is being used in this process i mean they didn't have a proposal whatsoever other than a scooter with a a seat on it as being their accessible option
0: One of the refrains that I've heard from the city over and over again, especially from Domi um, under the administration of Karina Ricks, was that they wanted to create lots of options so that, you know, not everything would be okay for everyone, but something would be okay for everyone. What's your take on that?
3: I, I mean, that's fine. But the question is, where do you start? And if you start with the most able, the people with the least problem with the last mile, give them a toy to play with and pretend that you've solved the problem and do nothing for the people who can't use the toy and who really have a problem, then I think that it's it's just unacceptable.
1: So there's this idea of last mile transit, but I'm not always sure what people mean by that. I think it's mostly a buzzword, um, but
0: also it's that very real thing of knowing you can move people and things really far distances. But I guess sometimes the hardest part of that travel or that supply chain is the, quote, last mile before you or the things you ordered get to your doorstep.
1: Right. So like in terms of people, you can get across the city, but you might have to literally walk a mile to get to the bus stop you need. Exactly. Bonnie, is the last mile thing working here in Pittsburgh?
2: Yeah, I think the origin of this Pittsburgh Mobility Collective actually started at a conference in 2018 where Kriana Rex met sort of a number of other transportation professionals. And there's this sort of, you know, ideation competition to solve transportation problems. And I think this last mile problem is a really, it's kind of a favorite of um, transportation tech, you know, advocates or, or researchers or private companies where they're sort of able to package out this problem and then sort of apply a product solution to it. Like, oh, we'll add an autonomous shuttle on top of that. When the problem is more uh, related to development and affordability and the other phenomenon of like just so many people being pushed out of the city in terms of affordability of places to live and being forced to live in in areas where transit is more sparse. And so, you know, there are things that could actually address, you know, having uh, more affordable housing policies, more transit oriented development that centers affordability. And also, you know, a lot of the folks in Mont Valley have been doing amazing work around uh, making sure that there are solutions that center their access needs in terms of getting to transit. And it's so hard for people to get from neighborhood to neighborhood or get into the city, you know, having to transfer and so on. And that was also related to the affordable fares and the transfer fees and so on. So I think that last mile problem is a problem, but there's so many like treating it as a uh, sort of isolated problem is one of the problems <laughs> I think that created these sort of fake solutions.
3: I mean, let's face it, Pittsburgh's not—you know—I mean, there there are flat sections and there are hilly sections, and and it's you know not the same walking four blocks, you know, up a hill versus flat. So,
2: right. <laughs> and what you
3: see is that the deployment of the scooter system really was designed to really serve areas that were already well served by transit and that the the high need communities, you know, weren't where there were depots or places for scooters. And it really, quite, you know, raises the question of, you know, are we getting hype that this is some kind of low income transit solution?
0: Hmm. Yeah. You know, part of what spawned this conversation for us is, you know, in a recent episode, we do a Friday News Roundup here at CityCast Pittsburgh, and Francesca asked a question that really struck me, which was, you know, is it appropriate for taxpayer money to fund a transit solution that isn't designed for everyone?
1: Yeah, especially the neighborhoods we're leaving out of these conversations and all of the improvements that could be made.
0: Yeah, and I asked the city about that. Domi says there aren't any direct funds to move Pittsburgh or the collective, aside from some staff time to support it, I guess. But I'm curious how you answer a question. Like that, because it doesn't really seem like the city
2: has historically asked it, at least not in those terms. Yeah, I think the focus of the city, you know, even though they have answers to like, oh, we wanted to give lots of options for people, has uh, seemed to be around a lot of these, you know, ribbon cutting, shiny projects. And a lot of that, you know, contributes to status and visibility of maybe what's happening within the city as a branding opportunity. Um, And so this Mobility Collective also is sort of a part of a pattern of centering, you know, private partnerships that would increase sort of the branding or or smartness of a city, but not really considering, not really starting from the place of asking, is this benefiting you know, the residents that live in the city and more from a, is this a fabulous, shiny project? The city just becomes a, a sort of facilitator for private companies to make money off of public space. You know, even if there are cases where, oh, it's just the staff facilitating that process. That's just an example of the city sort of prioritizing private initiatives over sort of what residents actually need.
1: Well, and the city said initially with the healthy ride bikes, which are now rebranded as pogo bikes. Wait, they are? When did they do that? <laughs> Yeah, that was last week. They launched this whole rebranding. Um, yeah, that's totally confusing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny that it's called Pogo, like Pogo sticks. <laughs> so the Pogo bikes and the scooters, they said that they'd be prioritizing low-income neighborhoods. But it looks like they haven't. I- I'm so impressed with your map makers, Bonnie.
0: Once it's plotted out, you can see plainly that these mobility hubs where the e-scooters are supposed to be charged, they're still all in sort of high traffic, wealthier neighborhoods, like the cold Yeah, and Lawrenceville, Southside. Oakland, Squirrel Hill, Highland Park, East Liberty. A little bit of the north side, too. Yeah, but just like that one stretch of North Avenue and the North Shore. Yeah, where all the money is. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But the center of our wider triangle gets totally skipped. Like, where's Homewood or the Hill, let alone Hazelwood? Like, they're just barely represented in where these hubs are supposed to be.
3: Yeah, I, I think that if the city was going to address the needs of selective groups. Had they started with people with disabilities, minorities, and women, you know, as being those target groups, it would be harder to argue with, you know, than starting with kind of the young affluent most able. When we ask, kind of like demographically, how many people over 40 have used scooters, over 50, over 60, you know, they, they claim not to have that information. When we ask about injuries, they claim that the report exaggerated or what wasn't, quote unquote, wasn't the same information they had, but wouldn't tell us what information they had. And, and so, um, you know, it's just, I guess that from my perspective, it's clear that They're not trying to serve the people with the greatest mobility needs.
0: Well, and if you don't have the data, sometimes that means you chose not to collect it.
3: Right, or come to the meeting without it.
0: How much do you think the pandemic has exacerbated some of this? Because we suddenly were thrust into this moment where a lot of public space was suddenly taken up for private need, especially during that first winter of 2020.
1: Yeah. And then the delivery robots, because contactless delivery was so vital.
0: Yeah. Has that affected your work and kind of the way you've had to talk about these things or the way some of these initiatives have been pushed through in recent years?
3: Well, I mean, the biggest problem is virtually all of them are almost totally inaccessible at this point. In what way? Well, in the sense that if you're in a wheelchair and a delivery robot comes to your house, does that mean that it's at the bottom of a, a set of stairs? Is it at your door? Does that mean that you can actually reach to wherever it's got right. and pull it out of whatever? You know what I mean,
0: They're not your postal person who knows where you need it to be.
3: Right. I mean, you know, the truth of the matter is when I get my pizza delivered, Either they put it in my lap or on my table. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to be able to get a delivery robot to be able to do that. And the real problem with things like scooters and delivery robots is not only can I generally not use them as a person with a disability, but they make it harder for me to get around. They become obstacles.
0: Because a lot of people aren't thinking about where they discard those scooters, even if there is a hub, that's not necessarily where they drop them. Correct.
3: Right. Right. And and delivery robots um, don't really share the road well, <laughs> and and often sit right where a wheelchair would need to get up onto the sidewalk and i mean they're dumb machines
0: all of this is to say nothing of the basics like curb cuts which the city also isn't historically great at
3: right and, and you would expect that if this was going to be done there would be some sort of dance with the disability community around how this is, can be made to work and, and nothing's been done like that so I, i've been very disappointed
1: I think that you both really touched on how Pittsburgh has become this sort of laboratory for transportation, right? It's kind of an experiment, and that doesn't necessarily mean it benefits its community. Where should the city be investing? Are there technologies that you support or or would like to see in the city?
3: Well, personally, I don't think it's a bad thing to be innovating kind of hub of technology and thought and all that, the question is, for whom, who's driving it? Who's at the table? And who is it serving?
1: Bonnie, any final thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think that um, there are, I think, you know, examples when communities actually take things in their own hands, they get their own funding. But I think that what what we're asking, and especially in this 100 Days platform, is to have the city actually prioritize the people who live in the city rather than um, bringing in sort of something that would displace or encroach on the needs of people who live here.
1: Well, Bonnie and Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Um, It's been a pleasure. Thank you for offering your expertise and your personal experience. Um, We'll be glad to have you back. Yeah.
3: Thanks for offering your podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Pittsburghers for Public Transit are planning to issue another report at the end of next month. It'll be an update on that 100 days platform that Bonnie talked about and hopefully outline some specific policy ideas for Mayor Ganey's new administration. And very separately, a few of the Port
0: Authority drivers who don't support the vaccine mandates rallied downtown on Friday, and they're doing it again today. Organizers are meeting at 10 a.m. in front of the Heinz Building on 6th Avenue. So if you're driving that way, please plan accordingly. The authority says their hard line is working, that more than 140 people have gotten their first dose since the stoppage last week. But some other drivers argue the mandate is about more than vaccines, that low-key it's just Pat's way of justifying service cuts, that they wanted to do anyway. And all of this could come to a head soon. The union contract is up for renewal in June. Some more news before you go. A judge has denied a request from the alleged killer behind the mass shooting at Tree of Life. Robert Bowers was arrested on site that day in 2018, and his defense team since has said that media coverage and just local attitudes generally would prohibit him from getting a fair trial here. Jurors could still be excluded based on perceived bias, but the trial is now expected to continue locally as originally planned. The Pittsburgh Riverhounds kicked off their season with a win against Hartford Athletic at home this weekend. You can catch them again Saturday the 26th against Detroit City. And shout out to their black and gold striped jerseys too. They've got that cool Steelers retro bumblebee look. And Kennywood's open, just kidding, not yet, but it is opening earlier this year. On April 16th, Kennywood Pass holders will get to preview a bunch of updates, all ahead of the park's 125th celebration next year. You can look for a new facade to the old mill, a refresh on the goodnight heart, and the return of the kangaroo. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you like the show, please let us know and subscribe to the Morning Newsletter. It's got a ton more to help you start your day. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye, y'all.
1: So natural.
0: (laughs) I like your celebration, Nick.
1: (laughs) You make a script sound so conversational. (laughs) I love it.